uh, so that's been really encouraging. And, and, you know, they're all special to me as well, but I feel like today was actually, as I was preparing the message, it was a prophetic message for me. So, if it's not prophetic for you, this one was prophetic for me. This one was, uh, it was actually a bit distracting as I was trying to prepare it. Um, I'm going to start with a story. Uh, it was, I'm not sure exactly how long ago, maybe five, six, seven, ooh, eight, nine years ago. Uh, time flies. Um, we were... Um, me and Natasha were together and we didn't have any children at the time. And we wanted to go on a missions trip. We had a friend who told us, we asked them, you know, where, should, where do you think we should go? And they listed two places. They said Belize and they said Kosovo. And they uh, said, you sh- those are the places you should go. And, and we asked them, are you being, do you feel like you're hearing that from the Lord? And they said, I don't know. And so um, we're like, okay. So we took that as being a starting place. Oh, well, maybe we should go to Belize or to Kosovo. And then we said, let's go down to the International House of Prayer and let's get a prophetic word and see if we can figure this out, where we should go on a mission trip. And those were the days when we could just make that kind of decision and, uh, and drive the next day, basically. So um, uh, we left and we went for the weekend, uh, I think, and maybe a little bit, and we went down and we got a prophetic word. And they started their prophetic word by saying, so we don't pray for locations, and we don't pray for mates and other things like this. And we're like, oh, shoot, they don't pray for locations. And because that's why we came, right? A lot of wasted money. No. <laughs> and so about to say something. She's about to say something to us, and then she kind of, it looked like she thought for a second, and then she stopped herself. And uh, so that was just very curious for us. We're like, what was she going to say? And then it was also interesting because they didn't say Belize, but one of the things that they said, and it was, we taped it, so it was actually on the tape as well, sounded a lot like Belize. It sounded like, it was, so it was like, Belize will be the greatest. I don't even know what she, what she actually tried to say, but it was something else that she was trying to say, but it really sounded like Belize will be the greatest. So I was like, oh, God's getting around their rules, and he's prophesying to us in spite of them. And... Uh, I actually agree kind of with those rules, especially when you're prophesying for people who you don't know. But, um, but God's sovereign, right? And he could do things. So we left, we went to the coffee shop, which is just like one door down from the prayer room where we got pro- uh, prophecy. And we were sitting in the coffee shop and we were praying. We we're like, oh, we want to track that one lady down who stopped herself from saying something. And I want to ask her what she was going to say, you know, um, and we're like, okay, well, we're not going to like, we, we thought, well, she's probably like well-known or like known to the community, so we could go to the front desk and try to figure out who she was. It's like, no, let's not do that. Let's just sit here and let's pray. Let's pray that if we're supposed to talk to her, let's, you know, that she comes in, that we could talk to her. So uh, we prayed and we said, Lord, if, if we're supposed to talk with this lady, if we're supposed to ask her this question, you know, let her come into the coffee shop. Um, it's not that unlikely. It's, you know, um, but it would be a sign for us. And it was only a few minutes later that she walked in. And, uh, and we waited for her to get her order and, and for her to shut, uh, sit down. And then we were elbowing each other on who was going to go. Um, and uh, eventually, I think I won. Anyway, so she, Natasha had to go, and I, maybe I followed her. And uh, then we approached her and we said, okay, so, you know, there was this thing, you know, what, what were you going to say? And it looked like she didn't know, like she didn't know what we were talking about. Like, is that a place? And it was just so interesting. She didn't even prophesy a place over us. She just knew the word. 
It was like this random word, like a nonsense word or a word that she'd heard before and she had associated with, with us. So that was just very powerful for me. It was very powerful that the Lord wouldn't even give you know, an association or, or something that kind of sounds right for everybody, that he would give something so specific and that it would be something that was unknown to the person, that it was even a location. And, um, and we were just really hit by that. And then we prayed and we're like, okay, Lord, if this is, you know, your word, I mean, this is great, but, you know, I, we want confirmation. So as confirmation, you know, like make a way, make a way for us to go to Kosovo. And it was only two to three weeks later that uh, we got an offer from someone. I, I don't know if you've ever had a mid trips, but anyway, we were there and these people came up to us and said, we would like you to go on a mission trip to Kosovo in, uh, I think it was like two months later. And so from the beginning of this journey to the end, it was only like a three month thing where we kind of had an impression from the Lord, we had an amazing prophetic word, confirm it, and then we had a way made before us and we were actually sitting in Kosovo not that long after. Today we're going to be talking about destiny and how um, each of you has a destiny in the Lord. Each of you has a calling, something that the Lord is going to do and wants to do in your life. His beloved is cared for. He loves you. And he has a plan for each of you. He has a plan to bring something into being. And he's so powerful to do it. And we can see it when we think about this time of year. You can see it in the Christmas story. Now, not everybody can see it. Some people, I've heard, they talk about the Christmas story in a way that's pretty foreign to me. They will say something like, wow, isn't, Jesus, like, isn't God really cruel? Like, look what he did to his son. And it's so foreign, it kind of takes me aback that somebody would look at it like that. And they think it doesn't look like love. It looks like a, a cruel dad that he would do that. But that's not, that's not a renewed mind. That's not the way, that's not a, a mind of spiritual understanding, at least not yet. Because the way Jesus looked at his death he said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And today we're talking about love. And I was thinking about this and it's like, how do we know? What's the difference between a cruel dad and, uh, and God the Father? How do we know that he's loving as Jesus dies on the cross? How do we know that he is um, not cruel? And I think, I mean, I, I think there's multiple ways, but the one I want to focus on today is this destiny idea. Things in our lives can look random. Things can look uh, like, you know, you don't have the resources to do something, like you've given a task and you don't have what you need. You don't have the support, you don't have the finances, you don't have the spiritual authority to accomplish what you need to do. Now, I don't believe that at all. I, it can feel that way in the moment. It can feel like you don't have what you need. Um, but I believe that there's a plan and that there's a purpose in each moment that you have. And like, like there was for Jesus. And I don't believe, like when you look at, at a father doing something to his son that's unloving, when you look at the entire story, it's not a story of a father being cruel, vindictive, like random, just enjoying the violence. 
being careless with his son, um, just being flippant or distant about what's happening to him. It's like it's totally the opposite of what I just described. Jesus' life, birth, and, and death are carefully orchestrated, finely tuned. He is given exactly the resources that he needs to accomplish his task. Everything in his life is ordered and timed. He's given difficulties, but he's given the difficulties to the degree and, nothing, and not an ounce more than he can handle. Maybe not an ounce less, but not an ounce more. He is given exactly the requirement. His bank account is filled to the penny of what he needs in order to complete a preordained task that will resound through the ages with purpose and meaning and love. That you would help us to see the orchestration and the destiny and the miracles that we take for granted in Jesus' life and in his birth and the things that happen at Christmas, that we think about at Christmas. And I pray that you would help us to be encouraged by how much you love your son. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I want to say about this as I get into this is that the list, I don't even know how long the list is, the, the amount of orchestration, planning, and bringing things together that actually happened in Jesus' life and in his birth alone is who knows how long. It's just this enormous, um, enormous, enormous amount of work and layers that actually go into the symbolism and the timing and the location of all of these different things. And we could probably take small slivers of this story and, and pray and study it and get so much information about God the Father. So I'm saying that just to say that I'm going to list a couple here, you know, and you could probably think of a few more, and they have, um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, complete. Oh, one thing I just wanted to say, before we had heard that, um, I just forgot, and I was going to say this earlier, uh, that Oasis had had um, a bomb scare this morning. And uh, so we had heard that they are going forward with their second service, so uh, hopefully that means that this was just a scare. And um, yeah, hopefully that means this is just a scare. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about there's three things, three main things I want to talk about. Um, the first is location. Going to, the, going to Bethlehem. Now, Jesus was born, and there was not a lot of, uh, you know, wiggle room around this because uh, Mary was going to Bethlehem pregnant. And so, and they didn't live there. And we, again, these are small things that we take for granted. That, well, of course he was in Bethlehem. Of course that just worked out. Bethlehem was not just a random town. It was a very small town. It was insignificant in the country, you could say, but it was prophesied over it. Like, so the prophecy is here in Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village in Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. So this is a town that was known to be a place where this king would be born. And it was a, so it's a very specific, necessary part of these layered uh, part of the story. 
And I could probably go into Bethlehem. I'm just, I have no idea if I actually could, but I'm just believing that I could. I could probably go into Bethlehem and preach a whole sermon on just the idea of Bethlehem and what that means. Just because I just believe that the Lord has layers and probably has layers to this story that we're only, the human race will only understand in heaven. Uh, on why he did, so that we can glory in the magnificence and love of a father for eternity. So at this point, all I want to say is that he had to be in Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph weren't told that they had to be in Bethlehem. They were just brought there divinely. They were just brought there by circumstance around having to be there for a census. And they had to be there at a particular time. And they would probably feel that this was just random. I don't know if they knew that they had to be in Bethlehem at the time. Now, when I told you that story earlier about us going to Kosovo, we were trying to make this prophetic thing happen. We were trying to to search for the Lord and trying to understand his plan for our life. And I believe in that, and I want to encourage you to do that. But I also want you to know that where you are, even if you have absolutely no sense of where you're supposed to be, God has you and can put you exactly where you need to be at exactly the right time. They had no idea, I'm imagining, maybe they did, but I'm imagining that they had no idea that they needed to be in Bethlehem, and yet in Bethlehem they found themselves, right when they needed to be there, right when God wanted them to be there. You could look at that even for this morning. I believe that you're here for a reason, that God has a purpose for you to be here in Maplecrest this morning. Now, you might think that this was random. To tell you the truth, I hear, when you talked about it even in pre-service prayer, about how there's warfare over Sunday mornings. People normally have a story about how they got here. Something happened. Some difficulty. Something either to take you away from church or something that pulled you to church. The next one I want to talk, to, talk about is blessing. Now again, when, when I think about the people who uh, really go after the Lord, like the people in this community, oftentimes we're just praying for and seeking after blessing. We are, we are praying for the, the blessing to come through somebody, somebody who seems like they would have a blessing for you or would have a powerful blessing for you. In Luke 2, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, our son's name. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, The way that I often think about this is that I'm trying to seek blessing in order to get God to do what I want him to do in my life 
or I'm maybe a little bit more holy, I'm trying to get a blessing in order for God to do what he wants to do in my life, but I still have to go and get that blessing so that he can do what he wants to do in my life. Like, I'm trying to give him the ability to do this, and I'm going to find that blessing. I'm going to find, I'm the one who has to go and do this thing, I'm the one who has to go to that conference, I'm the one who has to go to the front, and I'm the one who has to hopefully get myself positioned in the right place so that I can get the hand on me in order to get the blessing so that God can actually do what he wants to do in my life. We're often searching for blessings, hoping that God will provide somebody to give us that blessing or that we can find it. Well, Simeon prayed for Jesus, prayed for the family, and actually blessed them, which is kind of interesting, right, that he would receive this blessing. Anybody who blesses Jesus is just an interesting thing to me because how can you bless Jesus, right? Because it's just like he's the son of God. But there's a purpose in a blessing, even for Jesus. Even Jesus gets a blessing. And it's important. It's symbolic. It's, a, it's an opening for a reality. It's a, it's a proclamation to us. It's, re, it's in the Bible for a reason. And again, what I want you to know is that Simeon was prepared to give this blessing his whole life. That God wanted Jesus and Jesus' family to actually get this blessing. It wasn't Jesus and his family that had to go and find somebody to bless them. It wasn't Jesus who had to go and be like, if I don't find this blessing, God's not going to bless me, and I'm not going to be able to fulfill the purpose he has for me, so I'm the one who has to go and do this. It was God who said, I want to bless Jesus, and I am going to begin preparing in advance somebody who is going to give this blessing to him. There was a sovereign design and orchestration in Jesus' life that he didn't even have to think about because God loved Jesus so much that he said, I am going to prepare the bread and the, and the water and everything in advance for my son. I'm going to prepare a place for him to be born. I am going to prepare a man, and I'm going to prepare that man his whole life in order to give Jesus a blessing, the blessing that I want to give my son. This next one is the one that I feel is particularly prophetic for us, maybe this morning, and I think also for our church. That when Jesus was born, there was a man named Herod, a ruler, over that area, and he wanted to kill Jesus. And it's interesting because the wise men come and they're looking for Jesus. And they're looking for the king. And they actually do two things in trying. They're trying to bless the king. Their, their goal is to go and worship a king and give gifts. And two things happen. One is God has prepared these men from like who knows where in order to bring a blessing, another orchestration of the Lord, to bring a blessing. And it's interesting to me that the blessing that is prepared actually triggers the curse. Because the Magi come, and they come to Herod, and Herod finds out that there's a king. Hey, there's a blessing here, and it's not coming to me. It's going to somebody else. He becomes enraged, wants to know where these people are wants to be able to destroy this king. 
So there's a blessing coming, and it produces a curse. When, and I feel like this is also a little bit where our church is at. When there's a blessing that's born, there is an opposite reaction from the enemy to destroy it. When there's favor, there's an attraction to that. And we could see that even in Oasis, getting a bomb threat this morning. When there's favor, there's uh, a reaction from darkness. I believe that the Lord wants to give us the treasures of darkness. The Magi were coming from a dark place. They were Chaldeans. They were coming from a place of, of not knowing God. And they were bringing treasure. In Isaiah 45, it says, I will give you the treasures of darkness. Riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. He wants to bring a blessing. And, he, and it's interesting, again, that this blessing comes and produces this reaction in Herod. And Herod decides to destroy everybody under two. And then the wise men actually reach Jesus and give him the gifts, give him money. Another thing you have to realize about Mary and Joseph is that they were not wealthy. When they went to give an offering at the temple, they gave two pigeons. They gave two birds, and that was kind of an alternate sacrifice, not the, uh, not the best kind of like, or the, the, the sacrifice that was actually decided on, but it was a kind of an alternate if you were, didn't have the money to give the real sacrifice. So it was a sign that you didn't have a lot of resources. So Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of resources, and we can see that from the fact that they gave that offering. So if you had three magi, who, and if you have to imagine, I mean, you, you kind of see three kings, and they kind of showed it in that video. You know, they got the, they got the crowns, they got the camel, they look rich, but this was not... You know, three. We, first of all, we don't know, actually know how many. It could have been many, many people coming, like many kings, actually. It could, have, we, it could have been two, it could have been 30. Who knows? And another thing about this is that when they were coming, they wouldn't have come just by themselves. There would have been a huge entourage of people coming with them. This would have been like a big caravan of potentially hundreds of people coming with these kings. If you were to take a guard there and to carry everything that needs to be carried, so there would have been pack horses, or I mean, I don't really know, but there would have been a lot of stuff in order to make this happen, and a lot of people, probably a lot of animals. This was very wealthy, and Jesus, you know, gets this gift, and they didn't come, actually, at the time that Jesus was born. They came after that. They, my guess is that they probably came, and just knowing God and how he works, they probably came only minutes before Herod came to come and destroy them. That's when he comes, you know, uh, just before he's needed. He likes faith, so he comes at 11.59. Doesn't come a few hours early. So that's my guess, just, on, just based on that. So there is this edict that, well, actually, there's not an edict. Herod's going to destroy all these people. He's not going to tell everybody that it's going to happen. So Joseph gets a dream telling him that this is going to happen. So you have Mary and Joseph sitting there, and they have everything that they need right when they need it. How are they going to take a trip to Egypt? They couldn't even give the sacrifice at the temple. They can't go. So they get this word that they're supposed to go to Egypt. How are they supposed to go? 
And then the, the wise men come, probably just before the soldiers, and give them gold. They give them the exact resources they need to go and live in Egypt. And you have Mary and Joseph sitting here, and they've now got the gold, and they have the dream, but they're still not protected. They actually have to leave. And I mean, if you were sitting there, just imagine yourself. You're in a nice town, in a nice home. You don't actually know that anybody's going to come to destroy you. You're just sitting there, you're comfortable, and you just got a bunch of gold. Do you really want to go and spend it on a dangerous trip to a foreign land where people don't believe what you believe? I mean, we think about it as being, oh my goodness, they would be like jumping up, we got the gold, you know, let's go across the country, let's get away from Herod. It makes so much sense in retrospect, but for them, in that moment, all they have is a dream, and they just got a bunch of gold, you know, maybe they should upgrade. Maybe they should get a little bit more comfortable. Maybe they should go to, you know, a place that's nice. I mean, they do have the Son of God, don't they? Shouldn't they be kind of preparing to be a good parent and like preparing for this? Shouldn't they spend their money on, on the things that would help them? So the, they have the resources, they have the word, they have the direction, but they still needed faith. If you want to be protected, you need everything you need and you need to participate. If you want to be protected, you need to participate in faith. God will give it all to you and then there's the question mark, are you going to go? Matthew 2.13, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, said, Rise and take your child, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Joseph and Mary had to act in faith based on a dream. So the last part here that I want to emphasize and this is kind of where, where I go, so I imagine it's where a lot of you go, is, well, that's Jesus. You know, that's Jesus. Um, I think probably many people say, like, I wish I had a life like Jesus. Like, I wish I had that kind of intervention from the Lord to kind of direct me. I'm not sure if you want that, because oftentimes if you get that kind of intervention, it means that you're dealing with things. Adventures always sound good in books, but I don't know if they actually feel good when you're actually living them. Because we are living an adventure, and oftentimes we're struggling. But I want to address this idea that Jesus is different. And he is different. He has, his, he has a destiny. He's the son of God. He has a special destiny. And he's different because he has the fullness. He also has the fullness of uh, following the Lord and the fullness of God's spirit on his life. So there's this simplicity or, or purity to the way that he follows after the Lord. Like, there's no compromise in it. So it's a great example of what can happen when you follow the Lord with that kind of purity. And when we follow in our destiny, we don't do that, which is hard and makes it kind of muddy, which is why our lives look a little more confusing. It doesn't look so pure and clean like Jesus's because we step on our destiny all the time. We're like, oh, boom, and we like walk out of it. We step out of it. We do things that make it so that the Lord has to not just take care of a, a fulfilled destiny to help people, but he has to also help us. He has to help us to become people who can actually walk in destiny. And he has to kind of go back and forth and kind of work with us in order to help us with that. Because we're always stepping out of his plan. 
by not being not following him completely, focusing on ourselves, acting out and avoiding him in fear. But I want you to know, and this is the amazing part, is that the love that the Father had and has for Jesus, Jesus has for you. So I've been building up this destiny orchestration idea as an act of love, and I believe that. And if you believe that, that the Father orchestrated Jesus' life because he loved him and didn't want to be an absent, uncaring, callous parent, then that means that if Jesus loves you like the Father loves Jesus, then you have a destiny. You potentially can walk in an orchestration that pulls you to a full potential in the Lord. God doesn't leave us alone. In John 15, verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. So he loves us like the Father loves Jesus. And then he says, don't step on it. Don't step on your destiny. Don't walk out of it. I can work with whatever you give me. I can make it beautiful even when you step out of my love. But please abide in my love because you can produce so much fruit. You can have such a destiny if you stay in me like Jesus did. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it can be pure. You can have more life flowing from the vine. So God doesn't leave you alone. Don't dismiss the providence in your life as coincidence. So today we talked about how Jesus is loved by the Father, and even though it can look from a distance like God is just giving up Jesus and doesn't care about him to be killed, it's actually something that is, has been worked on, has been orchestrated from the creation of the earth and probably before then. And how it's actually God lovingly giving his son the opportunity to die for his wife and to orchestrate that into such a beautiful, layered symbol that will be marveled at like a jewel for eternity. And today we talked about a few things, the timing of it, how God just provided the timing sovereignly, the blessing of it, how he provided the blessing, and how he provided the resources and even the overcoming of evil. So that when you face your obstacles in life, if you're feeling today like you don't have the resources, that you don't have what you need in order to accomplish what God has given you, I want you to know that he is meticulously giving you exactly what you need. First to abide in him, and then so that you can produce the fruit that's been ordained for your life in order to produce for him. And it doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable, but it does mean it can be powerful. I want you to be prepared to produce something in your life that can actually move the heart of God. Can I have the worship team come up? I've been speaking about how I feel like, well, I had a dream a few weeks ago now of giving birth, of having 
I said then, and I'll say it again, it wasn't awkward, it was just kind of, I had a baby all of a sudden. Anyway, um, I had this baby, and it was beautiful, and I feel like it was a prophetic word about the church, about the church kind of going to another level. And I feel like this is, like we're going to the next step, and in this next step, there's another blessing, there's another destiny. It's kind of like the closing of one chapter, but then now I feel like he's opening the next chapter. And there's going to be challenge in it. There's going to be a destiny in it. There's going to be a Herod. But there's also a purpose, and there's the, the opportunity to live in faith. The opportunity to hold on to him and do what he asks, even when it doesn't look the way we think it's going to look. So I want to pray that over us. Lord, I pray that each person here would be able to walk in their destiny, that, that you would each be able to abide in the Father's love so that you can see the resources, that you can see each step that God has given you in order to live in the fullness of the fruit that he wants to produce through your life. And I pray that you would be completely protected to the degree that he has protection ordained for your life so that either you would overcome and see that safety of protection or that you would go into the suffering that he has prepared for you with full faith in order to produce something so beautiful that it could be talked about, that it could be marveled at like a jewel for all of eternity. Lord, give us your vision, your sight for our lives. Help us to walk by faith and always be in you.